And welcome back into the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Nicky, George Bremer here with you on the first official off-season pod of the season. It's going to be a very busy off-season, not just for the Colts, but also for us right here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod. So no better time to download and subscribe than right now because we've got a lot of content coming your way, even though the season's over. Be a lot of podcasts recorded, a lot of talk, George. That is for sure. And to at least put a bow on Chris Ballard's press conference on Tuesday, I think there's a lot of different takeaways. We'll still even get to a few smaller ones and quick hitters at the end of the pod. But one thing I really liked, and it started, honestly, in the first second of the press conference. He started, I believe his exact first two words were, quote, I failed, end quote. Which is not wrong, right? The 4-12-1, there's a lot of roster holes, a lot of just poor play from everybody. And it does fall a lot on the GM. But it was nice to hear accountability from Chris Ballard. And it, to me, like the, one of the takeaways I, I took from it was not only is he recognizing he failed, I think he also recognized that maybe some of the ways I thought teams should be built, I have to adjust. He's been someone who's, you know, been staunch about, you know, building in the trenches and still even kind of double down on that. Maybe his philosophy about quarterback and how to acquire them change. I think he kind of got that when he talked about, you know, do whatever it takes to get that quarterback in the draft. If you find out to be that guy, I like the, the, the accountability that Chris Bauer took. And I like that. I kind of got a sense that he even realized that some of the ways, some of the philosophies for him have to change or the Colts are going to get this turnaround, which is a good thing. If not, it's a definition of insanity. You go to the same thing over and over and over again without results changing. Yeah. I mean, he mentioned really quickly after talking about being failed, I can't remember where it was at, but it was very early in the, in the, in the press conference that the quarterback carousels, the biggest thing that he puts on himself, you know, and, and I look, I've not hammered him hard for it. Uh, over the years because I agreed with it as it was going on. And and that's a lot of times that's where I'm at. You know, how if I wasn't second guessing something at the moment or before it happened, I'm not going to suddenly second guess it after because it's not fair. You don't you can't play the game that way. Um, and and I felt like what he said today was the rationale that I thought was right. I know there's a lot of fans out there that don't agree. And that's one of the things that I love about the NFL in general. That there's rarely a right answer when it comes to these kind of things. You've got a philosophy. The GM has a philosophy. Somebody else has a different philosophy. Nobody's right or wrong in the situations. What makes it great is what makes these arguments great. It's what gives us so much to talk about on this podcast. But I personally, I felt like what he was saying about trying to bring in a veteran because you felt like you were close and that veteran could get you over the top. When you bring in a rookie, you're pretty much rebuilding. And I think that's another thing that changes this year's situation. It's not just that you're picking fourth overall. You got a new head coach coming in. You were 4-12-1. and one. Ballard's made it very clear in case there was any doubt, which there shouldn't be, that there's going to be changes on the roster. That's what happens when you do this. There, It may not be a complete and utter rebuild, but there's definitely a, a pretty big remodeling going on this offseason. So now's the time to bring a rookie quarterback in. It makes sense at this point. You don't do that when you feel like you're on the cusp of going you know, deep in the playoffs because you're setting yourself back. I mean, even the 49ers did it. They started Jimmy Garoppolo still. They made that big trade up for Trevor or for Trey Lance, but they said, look, Jimmy G's still our guy and, and, and we'll transition to the rookie. So I didn't have a problem with the way he handled that. But I think now looking back, it didn't work. There's no question about that. He agrees with that. I agree with that. And now you're going to change the way that goes. I, I think that was the biggest thing. Uh, and it, definitely is pointing towards them going after a quarterback in the draft. Um, but I also thought, I wonder because it was less clear in there, does it change his philosophy on free agency? Is he more willing now to go after one or two big name guys? The philosophy so far has been sign five or six guys 
at a middle tier level? You know, is he more aggressive now in going out and, and getting, you know, does he feel like maybe had he gone and been more aggressive and signed a left tackle last year or this year, the year before, um, you know, is that part of the regrets? I don't know. He wasn't specific about that, but that's part of the part I wonder. As far as the offensive line stuff, we touched about this in the in the first segment a little bit. It's another situation where I don't agree with him on that one, but I know where he was coming from. When he was talking about, you know, continuity, if you look at last year's line when Carson Wentz was here, it felt like they could plug in anybody and it just kept rolling. It didn't matter. Danny Penner came in for Ryan Kelly. Fine. They, they, they kept rolling right along. Chris Reed had to come in because Mark Lewinsky was hurt. Fine. They're just going to roll right along. Matt Pryor had to play right tackle while Braden Smith was dealing with injuries. They just rolled right along. And so I think he put too much faith in that this year. The idea that last year you could just plug in a couple guys and they just kept going. He put in too much faith that that would carry over an offseason. So I don't agree with that it was okay to, to believe that, but I know where it was coming from. And I think that's another one of the things that he was pretty clear about, you know, regretting in, in some of the changes he wants to make. And I know it's obvious because, again, you're 4-12-1, and one, so it's not all sunshine and roses. You can't, with a straight face, say, oh, we're not that far away and just, like, you know, make minimal changes like you could the last three offseason. And I'm with you. Like, that's why I was still on the camp for the most part of keep Chris Battle around because I, for the most part, understood a lot of the moves he made where, and you were 7-9 and when Jacoby Brissett in 2018. You're like, oh, we're not that, like, if we have a competent quarterback. We can actually make things happen. You go 11-5 Philip Rivers. You try to get Carson Wentz, who was on a MVP track at one point, still early in his career. Like, if you figure him out, like, this could be our guy for the next five, seven years. Like, I think up to this point, you could justify a lot of the moves they made, for the most part, roster-wise, especially quarterback-wise. And now, like I said, at least I appreciate the accountability because now you're at a point where you're 4-12-1. and one. You Like, you can't just say, oh, we're one or two pieces away. Or oh, we'll figure out. Like, now it's I, wholesale changes are needed, and I have to reevaluate I approach this team because – how we've done it the last few years, it has not worked. And like I said, now it's kind of maybe you're able to tread water the last two or three years. But now you, you see when your arms tire out, you, you drop like a rock. And that's why you're sitting there, pick number four. And this team just completely fell. And now it's going to take remodeling and a different almost philosophy in order to kind of get it back up again. So, And I think that's important because if you go back to our postgame pod, you know, one of the things that we were talking about is you, you need that mentality. You need the first step is admitting you have a problem. You need that mentality of get out of the band-aid philosophy that's that close. And, and it's the first time we've seen this offseason that the Colts are, are you know accepting that. Great point. That's a great point, right? The, the first actual step in change is admitting something is wrong and how do we fix it. And then Chris Ballard, like I said, in a few different areas and a few different ways, kind of hammered that home of, I acknowledge that maybe this team is not as good as I thought going into, especially this year, and things need to change. So we'll get into a few of those things he mentioned specifically in terms of changing and what could stay, what could change here in a little bit. But Overall, at least theme-wise, George, I, I think that the word or maybe the theme we could use for Chris Bowder is accountability. You go back to 24 hours earlier on Monday, Jeff Saturday at his final press conference of the season, his kind of closing word. And I'll be honest, so you were there, so you tell me, but at least the sense I got watching it was a lot of things Jeff Saturday said in the press conference when he was introduced now all of a sudden it's kind of going back and now you're kind of adjusting some of the words and now it's, oh, well, actually, you know, when you look at what I didn't really have to do and, I you know, the things I couldn't really do, now we should just kind of move the goalposts compared to what I said when I was first hired. It felt like a lot of excuses. It felt like a lot of, yeah, but when it comes to, yeah, we were one and seven, but I didn't do anything. And it felt very, it felt like he was just pointing the finger at everyone else but him. And that's why, he sh and that was kind of his main case 
of being the next head coach. And that is alarming to say the least. And it was, it's such a stark contrast because the guys that defended him in the, in the locker room earlier in that day, guys like Shaquille Leonard, uh, guys like Ryan Kelly, guys like DeForest Buckner, Jonathan Taylor, a lot of their argument was that he brought accountability, you know, because he was a former player, he wasn't afraid to, to call guys out. I think anybody who's seen the clip of him on the sideline with Peyton Manning believes that, you know, that it's not just that he's not going to have a problem, uh, you know, stepping on any toes in that locker room. And a lot of the guys were saying that they really like that. But to me, then when you go out and you're, you're presser and, and you don't have that same level of accountability for yourself, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that sits with the whole organization, not just the locker room, but everybody, you know, in the, in the front office and everybody, all the scouts who are out there putting in the work all the time. Cause I felt like, you know, while he threw the previous coaching staff under the bus a couple of times and, and backed over them a few times during that press conference, uh, some of the things that he was saying about the roster and, you know, the, 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 the state of the team when he got there, is also could be viewed as criticism of, of Chris Ballard in, in the scouts, you know, and if I'm those guys, I don't know how I feel about that. So, so we'll see what that does moving forward. But, you know, to me, the, the biggest takeaway from that, we've talked before on here. I think the most dangerous thing in the NFL is to play the what if game, you know, well, you had that big lead in Minnesota. You only lost by three. You change a couple plays against Philadelphia. You win that game, change a couple plays, you know, against Washington, you win that game. That's the, the the most dangerous thing, you know, make a stop against Houston. Now all of a sudden you got four or five more wins. You're in the division title race. Everybody in the NFL can do that. All 32 teams can do that. The Texans objectively had a better last month than the Colts did. You know, last yeah. second loss to the, to the Cowboys, overtime loss to the Chiefs, beat the Titans, beat the Colts. The one lopsided loss in there was the red-hot Jacksonville team. That's a much better final month than the Colts had. So it's just a really dangerous game to play. And I don't think your head coach in particular can't be playing it. I totally agree. And I, for that reason, I went back and listened to his introductory press conference again, just kind of see this, the, again, see the tone and how it changed from Monday's final presser of the year compared to when he was first hired. And like you mentioned, like one of the things that really did bother me, because uh, I wrote it down, he mentioned that if he didn't believe in these guys, and this was when he was first hired back in November, if he didn't believe in these guys, he wouldn't have taken the job. And so back then he's telling me basically, I believe like we have what it takes coaching staff wise and player wise to win and have success here. And then all of a sudden you hear him talking on Monday and it's, well, we had half an offensive staff and, you know, I couldn't make that many changes and all, all these other excuses. Like, well, like what happened? Like you came in gung ho and saying, Oh, I believe in these guys. Like if this was a failed team or if this was a team going nowhere, I wouldn't have taken the job. So you hype it up and then seven straight losses come and, Oh, it's not my fault. Well, you know, it's, uh, you know, I believed in them, but I actually didn't believe in them that much. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, like you just, you contradict a lot of what you said. And it's just more frustrating. Just like now, all of a sudden, like, because the season's over and things didn't go the way he envisioned for, I mean, things, I think George, for the most part, went as most people expected, one in seven with one of the, you know, the, the worst point differentials in the NFL and just his eight game tenure, some embarrassing historic losses uh, mixed in there as well. It's just, like you can't have both ways. You can't come in halfway and say, oh, you know, I'm going to change the culture. I'm going to be the leader. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the year, be like, oh, actually, you know, I couldn't really do a lot. You know, we're short, shorthanded. It's true. But when you say you can do it, when you get in there, don't all of a sudden now change the goalpost. Say, actually, I can do this and kind of try to change it and make it, and make it not – try to make it as not as bad 
as we all saw it to be. One of the things Andrew Luck used to always say about the NFL and and football in, in general was that his favorite thing is that it's a meritocracy. That you know, there's a scoreboard, there's wins and losses. You're judged on your performance, and and nothing else matters. You know, you don't go into all these other outside factors that we bring into other areas of life. It's just you did it or you didn't. And I, to me, right. when you sign up, when you're Jeff Saturday and you accept that 1:30 a.m. offer from from uh, Jim Ursay, you're taking on that responsibility. At that point on, you're going to be judged by what happens, you know, and and by results. And so, like you said, all those things are true. I don't know about the offensive staff thing. He keeps talking about that. I think he's overplayed that all year. You know, he keeps talking about that like they were missing half the staff. When he came in, offense coordinator Marcus Brady was gone. Okay. And then Frank Reich's gone, but you're replacing Frank Reich. So that's not two coaches down. It's one. Good and then point. Clayton Adams Good chose point. to leave your staff four weeks into the season. So I – that part, I don't know how on board I am with that. Um, it's it there is definitely an element there, but I don't think it's as big an element. He's been talking about that one for weeks. Uh, and I just don't I don't put a lot of stock in that. I, I get it. I'm sure it affected game planning, but you knew Marcus Brady was gone when you took the job. I, I go back to that to that initial idea. When you took the job, you knew what was going on. And you know, on that day, you said you believe in these guys and Certainly, Jim Irsay was giddy that day. I mean, he was basically jumping out of his seat. He couldn't wait to introduce Jeff Saturday, and he seemed to be shocked that the rest of us didn't respond in similar fashion. And now you're coming back after a one and seven, you know, finish and, and and trying to have some revisionist history. Some of those things have a lot of truth to them. It was a very tough this situation. There's no doubt about that. Chris Ballard, admit, you know, repeated that a couple times a day. They put him in a tough spot. There's no question about it. But my whole point is nobody tied. You know, nobody tied Jeff Saturday into a plane and, and flew him here and forced him to take the job. So once you accepted it, you accept the responsibility comes with it. Right. We talked to as soon as he hired. He couldn't do much. That's why part of it didn't make any sense because he really couldn't get his fingerprints on the team. So, yes, he's right about that. Also, in the same sense, though, you knew what you getting, you know, you signing up for. Like I said, no one was right, forcing him to do it and, and holding him against his will in order to be the next head coach. He chose knowing the challenges he would face to 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 succeed in this job and still took it anyway. And then one of the things that really bothers me, George, at least is the interpretation I got. It's almost like now, even though when he was hired in November, he said, oh, you know, eight games, I'll see what I can do. And, and you know, if I'm no good at it, the, the infamous quote, you know, I'll basically say, hang it up, I'll see you guys later, and I'm no good. And, like, the sense I got Monday was basically, he viewed these last eight games as not like a tryout, as more just like, uh, oh, let me just see what's going on. Let me see the inner workings. And, like, okay, this can be fixed. This is okay. Like, it almost seems like now going one and seven, he's trying to spin it as, oh, this is not a tryout. This is just, you know, me to just kind of almost like give the Colts a tryout per se and like see if I like it here and see like what I would change. And like now that I know through a games, you know, kind of how everything works, like this is what I would do. It's like you were brought in in November, fair or not, to kind of turn the culture around. And like I said, Jim Mercer was happy. He thought the team was going to turn it around. You know, this is going to be a, a team that maybe goes up. They were four, five, and one after the Raiders went. So it's not like they were the season's over by by any stretch of the imagination. But he was brought in as someone who, again, was thought of to turn this team around, not of, oh, we want to hire you, but here's like a, a little, you know, eight game sample of to basically get your feet wet. And then at the end of the year, we're going to kind of allow you to kind of see what you can fix and not fix it, kind of 
prep you and groom you to be the next head coach. This was his opportunity. And now he's like trying to walk it back and say, oh, it really was not my opportunity. Just more of like a, a soft open, if you will, for the head coaching search. It was that, that really bothered me. I'll be honest. No, nah, I'm with you on that. Uh, Jim Irsay wasn't just happy. I mean, he would jump out of his chair like my daughter <laughs> when we told her we were going to Disney World. I mean, he was ecstatic. It, it was, you know, he, he was defiant. He was angry that we weren't all joining in, in his elation uh, at that moment. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, Saturday made repeated reference during that press conference to learning opportunities. You know, that, that he learned through all this and that that's going to make him a better coach moving forward. And I think that's one point I want to get to, you know, before we wrap this segment up. I don't doubt, you know, one of the things that that, that I thought Jim Irsay took offense to is, is that he was sort of thinking that the media was doubting Jeff Saturday's football credentials. I don't doubt Jeff Saturday's football credentials. He's a six-time Pro Bowl offensive lineman. He's one of the toughest guys who ever wore this uniform, you know. I know he knows the game inside and out. I know he understands the business of the NFL. I know he understands what it takes to win in the NFL, but this job requires more than that. This job, when you boil it down to it, to be a head coach in the NFL, what your job really is, if we're going to explain it in the most simple terms, (laughs) you are making split second decisions in front of 70,000 people. And Chris Ballard sort of referenced this during his press conference that affect the lives of 69 guys on your roster, plus all your other coaches, plus all your other trainers, how many people in the world can really do that effectively? At that kind of pressure, at that kind of daredevil act, that's not questioning anything about these guys. All I'm saying, and I think all the rest of the media was saying, is that the guys that do that well, the guys that eventually learn to do that, it's a job you need training to do. I don't think we're going out and being crazy about that. (laughs) It's something that you need to be prepared to do. Because if you're going to go out there in front of 70,000 people once a week and make split-second decisions that change people's lives, we don't just say, hey, come on in, you're a heart surgeon. You watched a lot of other people do it. You went to a good school. Go ahead. You know, you have residencies, right? You learn on the job. In the NFL, those residencies are going up through the ladder. They're they're being a position coach. They're going, making your way to coordinator. They're putting in the work beforehand. That, I think, is what people, you know, I, I just want to clear that up. It's not that I think Jeff Saturday is an idiot and that he doesn't know anything about football. It, it takes a special kind of person and a special kind of knowledge and talent and training to be able to do what a head coach has to do. You've watched and covered football, Georgia. You've been around the game for a very long time. That does not mean you could go in and play quarterback tomorrow for the Colts and have any sort of success. You know a lot of football. You watch a lot of football. You know what the quarterback is supposed to do. But like I said, it's knowing what you're supposed to do and having, like I said, that football experience of a player and then having it transferred to the coach. Sure, it does help. Don't get me don't get me wrong. We've seen plenty of players turn into great head coaches. But it's not like just some automatic thing of, oh, yeah, that's of course it's going to translate. Or, oh, yeah, there's going to be no bumps on the road. Like, there's a – yeah, it's it's – yeah, it's obvious. It's so obvious to everyone else. And that's why it's such it's not a shock whatsoever that this has failed miserably uh in the eight games, except apparently for Jim Mercedes, the only one who seems very surprised, and even Jeff said a little bit too of how bad this has gotten, which is just like again, you hope that common sense prevails, but I mean you're right. It's not that Jeff Saturday doesn't know football whatsoever. It takes a certain set of skills that is extremely hard to 
um, hone, especially when you are the last you know decade working as an analyst for ESPN, kind of talking about things you know really well. Not a lot of head coaching, you know, not a lot of chances to put yourself in the in the shoes of a head coach and say, oh, snap, second split second decisions. Let me do this, this, or this. It's very easy to second guess, and that's a lot of those guys get paid to second guess, including us too. You know, the podcast, oh, I should have thrown that. Why'd you do this decision? But in the moment, like I said, it's very tough, and it's very hard to prepare for until you're actually there in the moment. One final thing I want to bring up, because we talk about themes. I thought Chris Ballard, he's talking about Jeff Saturday's candidacy, the word leader was thrown around. Well, going back to Chris Ballard, uh, going back to the introductory press conference to Jeff Saturday, the, the leadership word was thrown around. It had to be 100 times without a doubt. Even Jeff Saturday himself on Monday thought that he still is a good leader, and the players didn't quit. I, for me, George, look, we, we've mentioned a million different reasons why he should not be a head coach. So you don't need another one, but I will just say this. I think in the one area he was brought in to do, he failed. He did not get the guys ready to play. Chris Ballard, I don't know if he's trying to be nice, said that he didn't think the players quit at the end of the year. I could not disagree with that more. The last three games, I think they just mailed it in without a doubt. And it's just like you were bare minimum, whatever, wins and losses aside, he was brought in to at least galvanize a group of 53 men, had them play hard for the last eight games of the season and see where the chips lie after that. And I think the last month he failed at that. And again, I just, I, if you fail at the one thing you're brought in for, I just don't understand and I don't see how you can be a viable head coach. And I don't, I get why Jeff Saturday won't admit it because he basically takes out of the running, but it's like, you got to realize too, like you did not do your job at the end of the year, just point blank. No. And I, we talked about it, you know, in, in real time as it was going on in chargers game. We, we talked about it in the post game pod that it looked like the first time all year that, that the players really didn't care uh, and, and that they quit on him. And I, I I'm not going to backtrack on that. Now I absolutely felt that way. There was a little more fight against Houston than I expected, uh, but I don't know how much of that sure. was the fact that that Houston didn't do as much to kind of take them out of it early um, th- than some of those other teams did by, you know, st- shutting that offense down early on and, and giving them reason to want to kind of pack it in and start thinking about the the end of the season. Um, but yeah, I, I, and here's the thing, you know, when I went, I texted you after some of those guys were talking in the locker room and said, hey, it's the first time we've really heard vocal support for him in the locker room. But even in that moment, like, okay, you know, it's big when some of your star players are, are saying the things that they were saying. That's absolutely the case. I get that. I understand it. But you're one in seven. It didn't show up on the field. And so even if we're wrong and they were bought in, even if Chris Ballard is telling the absolute truth and we are seeing something and, and we're reading something into, you know, those games that was not there, it didn't show up on the field. We will discuss some of the players' vocal support for Jeff Saturday, and also Chris Bauer gave a hint as to who the left tackle could be in 2023. We'll discuss that when the Blue Horseshoe Pod returns.